never know when Mark Zuckerberg is actually going to let us have. And, and Jim, whilst we're letting um, social media uh, get us live onto uh, LinkedIn, onto Facebook, onto Twitter, and to YouTube, add on to our podcast, just going to let that work work its process. Uh, Jim, I had some good news today. Uh, my daughter, um, age 17, she passed her driving test this morning. Age seven, did you say, or 17? Age 17, age 17. Ah, that's excellent news, well done. <laughs> so uh, can you remember what was the, the car that you passed your driving test in? Yeah, Morris Oxford. Morris Oxford, it's uh, blue, must have been blue. No, it wasn't actually, it was a kind of twin tone beige colour and oh. uh, and really no synchromesh on first gear. Oh, good Do you have great. any idea what I'm talking about, Max? Yes, I do, because oh. the hill starts must have been hilarious on, on, yeah, yeah. on that one. Yeah, yeah, and you can't, you can't downshift, you really couldn't downshift into first unless you double declutch. I'm Good probably grief. using terms here that most of your audience won't appreciate. Well, especially our, our, our students with, the, with with automatic gearboxes. Well, I need to pull rank on that basis because I, I passed my test on a uh, in a Ford Fiesta diesel in the mid '80s, and that that was uh, yeah, that was uh, a bit a bit clunky. But um, Jim, I love this story about our local um, test centre in the respect of the farming co connotation. Uh, I, I, I think this is true, but some people say this is urban folklore. But um, about 15 years ago, there was a, um, a young farm worker who was due to take his test. And it was the middle of harvest. And he was in the grain dryer and his buddy who was with him, uh, they were going to take, um, they got permission from the farmer to take their buddy's car down to the test centre so this chap could, uh, could take his test. When they went to get into the car for the allotted time, the, um, the car had broken down and they didn't have any other any other cars because everyone was combining or uh, parents weren't, weren't about. So they uh, being resourceful uh, young men in, in the farming industry. They they thought, well, let's take the tractor. Let's do the, the test in the tractor. So they took the old plates off the uh, of his mate's car. They stuck it on the tractor. They drove down to the test center, turned up there. And uh, the uh, instructor came out and said, no, no, son, you're not going to take the, the test in the, in the tractor. Uh, but there was a, another um, in, instructor nearby saw the predicament, and so he lent um, this young farm worker his um, his 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 car, and uh, the young farm worker passed his test. And I, I love that uh, that tale because, especially now, Jim, we need good people in this uh, in this world, don't we? Um, and I I thought that was a, a a nice thing to to bring in because we need good people and. That's what I think Retractor is, full of good people and, and the good that you, that, that you do. So everyone, come on, let's go live with Jim. Jim Mosley, CEO of Red Tractor. And if it's okay, Jim, I'm just gonna give a bit of um, a background, especially for the people on the, on the podcast, so they have a, a real proper understanding as to you and to, to Red Tractor. So Red Tractor, you will be aware of who they are, but they are a not-for-profit company that is the UK's biggest farm and food assurance scheme. They develop standards based on science, evidence, best practice, and legislation that cover animal welfare, food safety, traceability, and environmental protection. There's around 50,000. Would you be, Jim, is that about right? 50,000 British farmers are currently yeah. credited to, to red tractor standards, which form the basis of buying and sourcing specifications for major supermarkets, house, household brands, and restaurant chains, ultimately making life simpler for everyone. The red tractor logo represents 20 years of driving world-leading British food standards. And since 2000, they have worked closely with animal welfare experts, vets, agronomists, and the entire supply chain to ensure that whenever you buy a product with the red tractor logo, it is traceable, safe, and farmed with care. The assurance covers the entire food supply chain, and they work with over 450 independent inspectors to ensure the most robust assessments are done um, on a 
on an ongoing basis. These inspectors are all appropriately trained and sufficiently experienced, and together they conduct over 60,000 inspections a year. Jim, have I hit the nail on the head? Have we presented Ab Red Tractor accordingly? Absolutely hit the nail on the head, Max, but I can add a couple of interesting stats to what you've just said. First of all, the logo sits on around £14 billion pounds worth of UK food and drink, so it makes it probably the biggest food mark maybe in the world, I don't know, but certainly in the UK. And I guess the other thing is that when you talked about our inspectors, um, the certification bodies that we use to do the assessments and, uh, and the audits and the certification are all operating to an ISO standard, ISO 17065. So it's an international standard that they have to operate to. I think a lot of people in the industry probably don't appreciate that. They just think that they are inspectors that have had a certain amount of knowledge and, and will go on to far more into the supply chain to audit. But they're actually all operating to a very high international standard. Fantastic. And, and Jim, your background um, is fascinating. It's so appropriate for, for Red Tractor. Um, and we do get this request, uh, especially from uh, graduates and in the food sector or uh, those looking to come into the sector. If it's OK, what's your background and how did you get involved with Red Tractor, please? Yeah, it's a long story, Max, and I know it's only a relatively short program, so I'll, I'll go as quickly as I can. Basically, the story started right back in the 1970s. So uh, I read Agricultural and Food Marketing at University, and then I joined an organization called FMC Meat Limited. And the majority of your audience won't know what FMC stood, stands for, but it was the Fat Stock Marketing Corporation. And it did exactly what it said on the tin. So it marketed the fat stock of Britain, essentially beef, lamb and pork. And at the time, it was Europe's largest meat manufacturing operation. And believe it or not, my first job there was Czech Wayman at Sheffield Abattoir. <laughs> so I worked, uh, I worked at FMC for about six years and effectively I did absolutely everything in that organization. So I worked in the field uh, with livestock farmers. I actually bought cattle on the hoof. I worked in abattoirs, but I ended up in the kind of sales and marketing function you know, working with all the British retailers of the day and also responsible for a lot of the export of, uh, of fat stock into lots of the global markets, but particularly the European markets. And I guess after that, I, I moved then downstream along the supply chain. So having started off in more primary agriculture, I actually joined a company called Wanda Foods, whose main brand was Ovaltine. Yeah. Um, and then I joined Tulip, which is now uh, Pilgrim's. Uh, and when I joined Tudip, it was it was much more of a Danish company than perhaps Pilgrims is, is today. Yeah. And I worked as the sales and marketing director there. I spent three years with Tulip. And then I joined an American company called General Mills. Now, not many people on this on this call may know General Mills, but it's actually the fifth biggest food company in the world. In the UK, we'd know them better for the brands like Old El Paso, haagen and Green Giant, Nature Valley, Betty Crocker. Just Roll, and, and of course, all the cereal brands, Cheerios and, and Shredded Wheat are, are General Mills brands as well. So um, I was the managing director for a big slice of Northern Europe. So I looked after the UK, Ireland and the five Nordic markets, and also for a while for, uh, Germany as well. And in that period, Max, I was also lucky enough to be appointed president of the Food and Drink Federation. Wow. And, and really through the FDF's network, I became re-engaged with the NFU from all those years before. Um, and it was in around 2014 that the NFU approached me just to see if I would be interested in chairing Red Tractor. Um, ah. And I took the role. I started as the chair at the very beginning of 2015. 
Um, and if you, if you like, that brought me sort of full circle. So having started in uh, primary, uh, primary production, I came right back to Red Tractor. Now, I have to say that one of my tasks as chair was actually to find a successor to the CEO, a guy called David Clark, yep. who had basically established and managed Red Tractor from day one. And I failed so badly in that task that at the 11th hour, I threw my own hat into the ring and I was subsequently selected as the CEO. And that's where I've arrived today. That's again, again that's, a, that, that's fascinating. So the, the five years that you've been in, in post, they must have been very interesting. What, what, from, from your um, background, and let's call it in the, in the commercial world, what have you learned in the last five years with, uh, with Red Tractor in comparison, please? Yeah, so um, it's a very, very different working environment to the grocery sector or the, as you say, the branded uh, sector where I've come from. But in some respects, that's actually one of the reasons I even put myself forward for the role, because it's, it's a completely different challenge and an, an entirely new challenge for me in some respects. Yeah. Um, there's, there's very different ways of working. There is a very different purpose in Red Tractor. So in my in my grocery days, in my General Mills days, I was typically selling a brand or a product and you would measure yourself on your sales and profits yep. and your market share. Whereas the world of assurance and of standards and certification is nothing like that at all. Although I would still say the experience that I've gained from the grocery sector okay. still remains in incredibly useful. Yeah, yeah, there are... Go I was going to say there are some some really big differences, big learnings for me. And I guess if I was to probably rank the top three differences from working in the grocery sector to working Red Tractor, the first would probably be communication. So at General Mills, I was responsible for about 700 people based in various offices and manufacturing plants. And now, looking back on those days, communication was relatively easy. I, yeah. I knew most of the employees. I met them regularly. We had formal communication updates. And I can honestly say that everyone in my organization would have known what the vision was, what the purpose was, what our objectives were, how we were doing, and, and, and so on. When it comes to Red Tractor, that communication with farmer members is really difficult. I mean, first, as you've said, we have almost 50,000 members. Second, there is no simple or single route or channel that we can use to communicate to those members. We do face-to-face -face farmer meetings, did over 100 plus in the last year. We've got agricultural shows, we've got webinars, newsletters, website, direct yeah. mail, trade advertising and so on. But despite all of those channels, getting your message out to members is still very difficult. And I still believe there's a huge amount of misinformation and, and perhaps a lack of understanding about assurance and certification and that is hugely frustrating so that is a major difference for me yeah and, and that's very interesting jim in the respect of uh, we had um, uh, tim rycroft on uh, recently the ceo of the ahdb and he's got a a, a political and a trade background and he said exactly the same issue within the ahdb and i gave him the example that i remember being uh, going to a lecture uh, some years ago at Cranford University and there was a, a senior board member for BT saying that uh, when you have um, a business that's got over 500 employees um, and on a multi-site basis within the UK it is then a proverbial nightmare to be able to uh, communicate with them for yourself and for, for the likes of um, Tim within the HJB I could, I could see it is it's a huge problem especially with the with all you, you would think that um, social media would actually bring things together but if anything it just makes it more fragmented uh, because if you miss a, a particular platform whether it be 
uh, Clubhouse or, or whether, whether it be Twitter or whether it be Instagram or whether it be now TikTok. I mean, who does TikTok? It's not our age group, but we, we need to, Jim. It's, do, 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 just on that side, we fascinated to pull the thread on that. Do you, do you think there's a, a solution as to how you can communicate to, to everyone that's involved with Red Track to be that internally or externally? Or, or have you just got to muddle, muddle on with what you've got? I think, we, I think I would say, Max, that we've been muddling but I think what we want to do is to look to see whether there is a series of events or, or a channel that we can use that really does get to the vast majority of our members that enables us to kind of deliver communications very consistently and simply. So um, I would say that there's that we've got we've yet to find it, but there's got to be a better way than we are we are doing at the moment. Okay. Just one other thing, I'd also say the other big difference for me with uh, from from my corporate days to, to Red Tractor is the um, is the decision making process. So, again, in my last career, I was very used to being in a kind of tight leadership team. You might have had a finance director, HR, logistics, technical sales and marketing and so on. Um, and that team was effectively responsible for, for developing the vision and then delivering the strategy and actually achieving the objectives. In Red Tractor, it's very different because we are owned by the entire supply chain. So right from farming unions through to the British Retail Consortium. And of course, everyone in that in those various organizations all want their input into the way Red Tractor operates and the standards and so on. So um, where I was kind of used to making quite a lot of decisions by myself or with my team, I'm now kind of probably lining up 100 people or more before we can make some of those decisions. Now, to be fair, some people would say, well, that's great because you've got that extra breadth of experience and skills coming in. And it's absolutely true. You know, we, we have we have all those different viewpoints, but it is a difference in uh, in how I used to operate and how we used to make decisions. And, and, Jim, and has that, then, has, Jim, Jim, has that been your biggest surprise in doing, doing the, the role with Red Tractor over the last five years, that, that, think, uh, the, 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 the number of um, uh, bosses that, that you've got? The number of bosses... But certainly the number of bosses, the, the, the difficulty in being able to communicate a, a simple, straightforward message. And then I would guess the last thing, Max, that is also different is, you know, if I think about a brand like haagen that we had in, in General Mills, the specification on it is very high. And when you look at the factories producing them, they're all like peas in a pod. You know, literally, you could go into any factory, it wouldn't matter whether you're in the US, Japan or in, in France, where we used to manufacture it. Effectively, the production system is the same everywhere. Yeah. Of course, the difference with farming in the UK is such a variety of farms, you know, from big to small, family to, to, uh, to big progressive units uh, and a real a real difference uh, in, in, in those production units. And I think that also, you know, comes as a, as a difference and a challenge. Yeah, that's that's a, again a very interesting point. I remember Tesco's as a as a key retailer four or five years ago, um, stating that they were being served on a, on a fresh produce perspective. So just fresh produce alone, they were being served by 112 independently owned pack houses, and how inefficient that uh, that was. And so um, Tesco's looked to centralise that. And they had this, uh, this this business. Uh, dream of having 12 going those 112 down to 12 and uh, in some respects they've, they've done that with them um, for certain areas um with, with the thought being that there's so much 
inefficiency and there's, there's so much profitability held up within the supply chain. Uh, but I think what's then then subsequently happened is you've got other businesses that, that, that have then started up and just there's just this thought within some uh, sectors, especially fresh produce, that you need to own your own pack house. But actually, if you collaborate with them, um, with other um, aligned partners um, in your sector and share costs, that actually might be more advantageous. But yeah, I, I, I can imagine that you that, that must have been a bit of an eye opener for, for you to see this myriad of, um, of operational systems across the UK. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and, and Jim, I, I don't dare ask this. I was saying, I was saying everyone to, to Jim in the, in the green room that uh, uh, since we got this uh, this interview set up, so much so much has happened in the in the last week alone on a political and a um, uh, uh, an e economic uh, uh, basis. Um, my notes read: um, UK British food and farming is facing some of the biggest challenges um, in over hundred years. Jim, what's your vision on how Red Tractor can assist the sectors through these interesting times? So I wrote that a, a week ago, and, and Jim, in the in the last week, what have we seen? We've seen a huge escalation in um, in fertilizer prices. We've seen the likes of Ukraine and Russia potentially not looking to be able to export wheat into uh, North Africa and uh, and Saudi, uh, pushing uh, wheat prices up. We've had uh, the uh, Nickel has just come off the um, exchanges this, this morning because it's it's just it's just uh, gone it's got gone 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 do lally. Um, so just in a week, um, everything is gone. Matt, Jim, what what's your advice to people as to how we can look to try and find some sense in the madness that that we're, we're going through as, as we film this at the beginning of March two thousand twenty two? Uh, yeah, well, Max, you're absolutely right. I mean, there is so much going on that it's very 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 difficult to kind of just paint a simple picture of what to do and how to get through and, and Ukraine particularly you know with its with its growing record um is a huge you know it's going to have it's going to have a huge impact on commodity pricing and such like so very, very difficult to advise um but what I would say I would say that there are there are probably some key things that we do know about we know that there's going to be huge uh, cost input cost inflation for farming uh, you've mentioned fertilizer and energy uh, and labor and so on I think that I think we're, we're, we're facing a situation where input costs will go up and the ability for farmers or indeed processors to pass them on is always difficult I mean I know from my grocery days how difficult it is sometimes to pass on price increases when we've you know quite rightly we have a retail sector that is trying to achieve the best possible deal for its consumers and with consumers facing their own personal energy prices going up the last thing that they will want is, is huge inflation within food so inevitably there will be great cost pressure on the whole food industry i think the labor shortages are an issue um, I mean, the impact that they've had on pig farm is an absolute yeah. disaster where, you know, simple labor shortages in the processing sector has then led to a backlog of pigs on British farms. That leads to on-farm culling of healthy animals, which is absolutely just, it's just a sin. Yeah. So uh, for me, that's bad news. I think also uh, farming is under increased scrutiny, and that's not just from the activists who thrive on the undercover footage that, that, that they get into media, but also from the general public. And our difficulty in the UK is the general public's knowledge about farming and their perception of farming may be in some respects very different from the reality. So, you know, some of the things that they see about farming, they, they, they perceive as poor, and yet it's absolutely standard agricultural practice. Yeah. But I do think farming will be under increased scrutiny. And then apart from all the, the global problems that you've mentioned, Max, with Ukraine and everything else, there's, of course, the ongoing 
free trade deals being negotiated. And I think almost inevitably, some of those trade deals will increase the competition here in the UK. I also think that they will increase the opportunities for export. But I guess, you know, the first concern is actually will they increase the competition here in the UK? And certainly if you look at the Australian trade deal, um, you know, where Australia has got the economies of scale, they've got lower land prices, lower breeding costs, probably lower feed costs as well. Inevitably, they're going to be very competitive. Uh, and I think that's something that, that is going to affect this market. And Jim, thank you, because what, what I'm very keen for everyone to do is uh, as we're going through this uh, practice period is to listen to the, the likes of Jim, to engage with the likes of uh, Red, Red Tractor, uh, because we need industry leaders, we need people like Jim and his colleagues to give us that, that guidance. And, and Jim, I suppose this is to yeah, give, give us a bit of a, emotional support. And the, the farmers I know, they're very confused uh, because everything is changing so, so rapidly. So to be able to have people like yourself, your colleagues at Red Tractor, to give a little bit of a steer, uh, give informed information on a, on a non-emotional manner, uh, but obviously on a caring basis, but on, on how they can prosper and, and succeed through these turbulent times. Jim, I think that's that's uh, why we're really keen to, to promote Red Tractor, to give everyone that steer. Yeah, and I, and I think there are some things that Red Tractor can do specifically to assist. I mean, in some respects, Max, the, the core purpose of Red Tractor is, is almost the starting point. I mean, for, for 22 years since we've been in existence, our core purpose has been to reassure consumers that food is, you know, red tractor products are safe and responsibly produced. And, and doing that successfully means that there will be latent consumer demand for British produce. Now, interestingly, just last year, we conducted through YouGov a big poll on how the public trusts UK food. And interestingly, the public trusts UK food as much as they trust the National Health Service. So we've come an awful long way from the late 90s when confidence in British food was at an all-time low following those scares such as BSC and salmonella and foot and mouth and, and indeed the reason why Red Tractor's established. So I think continuing to, to do that, uh, you know, to, to reassure the consumer, to give them some, some kind of guarantees of safety and responsibility is, is very important because that gives, if you like, a, an immediate demand for the produce of Great Britain. And, and think, that's such a great, great example that UK consumer uh, has the same credibility, same, same positivity towards uh, UK food as the NHS. I'm, I'm just thinking of that example. I don't know if you're aware of it. And um, I think it's in, in Nigeria that uh, the whole population of Nigeria, which is huge as 90 or 100 million, they don't buy any of their own fresh produce because they think it's tainted. Um, so they only buy um, fresh produce and fresh meats from surrounding countries. Um, you think of all the, the the food issues that have been so professionally handled by the likes of yourself and the and the NFU and the other trade organisations. Um, that actually, that's a testament to, to you all that the the UK population is so so in favour of uh, UK fresh food. Yeah, no, absolutely. And and to be honest, Max, I think it's something we probably forget because the market moves so fast and everything around us moves so fast. But yes, I mean. I, I, whilst whilst Red Tractor will have contributed to that result, and so will the Food Standards Agency as well, which was also created about the same yeah. time, the whole industry ought to congratulate itself because effectively we have swung consumers' perception from I won't buy British meat to actually today it's the most trusted thing that I will buy. So, you know, great, great congratulations to the whole industry for achieving that. Um, 
I think the other thing that we can also do for farmers and growers through this period, though, Max, is to is what I would describe as give them the maximum market access for the minimum level of audits. Now, I, I'm sure some of the farmers and growers that are on your on this call will say minimum audit and question that. But in reality, it is it is a relatively minimum level of audit that we're doing. You know, when I used to work in, in factories in the UK producing private labor and brands, we were probably inspected, oh, I don't know, two or three times per month. Yep. either by the BRC or by a retailer or a food service operator or by government. I mean, we were, you know, it was really all death by audit in some respects. In our world, it, particularly in the agriculture sector, we try to give our farmers and growers the maximum market access for the minimum level of audit. Excellent. Crops is a very good example. So any crop grower, let's say growing wheat, for example, could, however that crop reaps, however it delivers in terms of the final quality, it will always have a market, whether it be here in the UK for human consumption or for feed, whether it be an export market or indeed into the renewable energy directive. But effectively, there is not a single market that Red Tractor cannot access for the grain grower. Uh, and I think that's a, a good example uh, of, of what I mean by minimum audit, maximum market access. And of course, we have a lot of earned recognition agreements with government, particularly uh, with the Food Standards Agency. So, you know, on the basis that our standards will be strong enough and the robustness of our audit regime is good enough, the FSA and other government departments will extend this thing called earned recognition, meaning if you're a red tractor farm, you will not be inspected as often or at all by those government functions. So. That's another important thing that we can do through this period is to is to keep those market access open, but for the minimum level of audit on farm. Yeah. So, so every producer, uh, Jim, I'm going to put words in your mouth. They should be very proud that their product, where it ultimately ends up, has the Red Tractor logo on it. Oh, absolutely. And I think I think the Red Tractor logo is going to is probably going to grow in importance, particularly if the competition in the UK grows. So, yeah. you know, that logo is the is the mark that consumers recognize and trust. It is the most recognized and the most trusted food mark in the UK. Strangely, we've even passed fair trade in terms of uh, in terms of trust. So it's a really good mark. <laughs> and obviously, if we see increased competition in the UK, the way to differentiate our British product on shelf will be through the Red Tractor logo. So um, I'm sure, Max, as a, you know, you'll have seen our advertising levels have gone up dramatically yep. in the last three or four years. Uh, we get, you know, we're getting great scores, great recognition of our advertising. But for me, it's still very early days for Red Tractor. And there's still an awful lot that we can do to get consumers to understand all the standards that our farmers and growers you know deliver day in day out and with that better understanding will come even more loyalty to red tractor and that yeah. is going to be the biggest differentiating factor when we see many more imports coming into the uk and jim i'm just going to do a, a sideways uh, step because when you were talking um, earlier about that branding area i'm sure you've heard this uh, this, this story before that uh, back back in the day there was a, an American producer of uh, of white bread and they weren't getting the sales that they wanted and so they hired in this very well known marketing consultant and uh, they did a big picture to him as to the background of uh, of their product and that how it was so good and uh, 
uh, the marketing consultant said, I can fix your problem. I can double your sales within, within a month. Uh, and they said, this is amazing. How, how, how are you going to do this? They said, well, I won't tell you, but my fee is going to be uh, 1 million US and you're going to pay me half up front now. Uh, and when I tell you what to do uh, and you do what I tell you what to do, you can pay me the other half. And they, they apparently the board went out, um, scratched their heads and said, well, it's an awful lot of money, but this guy is uh, very, very renowned. We better roll with this. So they came back in and said, OK, we accept your terms. Uh, we'll pay you your half a million now. How do we sell more of our bread in, in America? And he said, uh, put the American flag on it. You'll sell more bread. And subsequently it did. So my, my segue to that is, is that with the red tractor logo, you created that magic dust um, in that respect of, um, of pr promoting the fact that it's a potentially overtaken uh, fair, fair trade. But, but Jim, just the sideways question to that, if I, if I can give you my proverbial magic wand again, um, how do you think we could get the, the UK consumer to, to, to know even more about Red Tractor and the growers and the suppliers and everything that they have to do to make sure that they're growing the best best food for, for those consumers. So what would you do with my magic wand to, to, uh, to educate those consumers, please? Well, yeah, it would be good to have a magic wand, Max. I mean, I mean the first <laughs> thing is, to be fair, you, you mentioned right at the beginning in the introduction that we're a not-for-profit company. We are a not-for-profit company. We try and operate as leanly and as meanly as possible. There's only 25 full-time employees at Red wow. Tractor, and yet we manage a scheme that's worth 14 billion and has close to 50,000 farmers in it. So it's a, it's a pretty lean organization. Um, and therefore, we are somewhat limited by our marketing budgets. You know, we, we, we don't, we, it's effectively any money that we have over and above paying for the schemes then put into that consumer marketing. That said, we operate, we operate in, in several channels with the consumer. So our TV advert delivers a very broad and simple message you know, we're trying to get a message over about red tractor standards in 30 seconds. So it's a pretty difficult job, but it, it raises the awareness. It gets people aware of and recognizing the logo. And if you like, that's the starting point. But then what we do is we use social media. We've got various episodes on YouTube and other, other elements of social media where they're slightly longer and they allow us the ability to engage for longer with the consumers, which then means that we can talk about very specific standards and differences that Red Tractor deliver, and we can include what we describe as proof points. So we can actually prove to the consumer, this is what we do, and this is why it is a benefit to you. So the social media allows that. And then of course, we have our website as well. Um, and our website has been revamped particularly in the last 12 months, it's become a, a lot more consumer friendly. And if consumers wanna delve in and look at those, uh, those standards and see what we do, they can. But I think, Going even further forward, what I want to look at is other methods of getting our message across, such as QR codes on packaging. Oh, well done. Okay. Yeah. So, so it's, I, I have to say, there's some there, there was a great news in the last few weeks in that Morrison's have uh, launched a new uh, poultry range uh, called Space to Roam, and uh, it's a Red Tractor Assured product. It has our our enhanced welfare module on it, and on the shelf edge. On the barker they've got the qr code and literally you put your phone on it you're taken straight into the morrison site and it explains exactly what is you know the the criteria that has gone into that product and i think having that kind of visibility that much more information will help our case so i i despite what we're doing today i can see some opportunities for further almost one-to-one -one interaction with consumers in the future fantastic and uh, so that's to the consumer coming back to to the 
um, to, to the trade. You've got a, a number of paymasters um, uh, that, that are heavily involved with red tractors as you've, as you've um, imitated, uh, um, uh, initiated. What, one thing I've learned over the last two years of doing this broadcast is this key word collaboration. Um, is the more that we can do within the trade uh, to collaborate with Red Tractor, to promote Red Tractor, again, both within the trade and the consumer uh, to give you even more might, give you even more momentum. Do we need more collaboration from, from uh, all those groups involved with Red Tractor, do you think? Absolutely, Max. The, the, the collaboration is an absolutely key word and one that's probably, we're, we're probably not using it and doing it sufficiently today. Um, so with bodies like uh, AHDB, for example, we, we, we collaborate closely with them, but I still think there's opportunity for a lot more. With our, you, you mentioned some of our, what we would describe as our licensees, so the actual users of the logo and so on. Uh, I think there's a great opportunity through those licensees to amplify the Red Tractor message uh, and, and to get them to, to be talking about Red Tractor and its standards and whatever, to increase that loyalty. I'll give you a perfect example, Max. You were talking to me in the green room about interior design and such like, of which is, uh, is not my strong point, uh, nor are fashions, believe it or not. So I would typically shop in Primark for everything I need. But my wife um, is a white company customer. And just the other day, the white company brochure came through. And I was thrilled to see that the white company are now talking about the fact that their mattresses uh, and their woolen goods often feature wool from Red Tractor Assured Farms. No, Similarly, Hypnos, Hypnos mattress is exactly the same. You walk around oh. your bed store and you look at all the mattresses out, and they'll all have the label on the bottom. You'll now see a Red Tractor certified wool logo on a Hypnos mass, uh, mattress. Now, for me, that's, that's a great example of the way some of these brands are seeing the importance of, of assurance and certification because it adds a level of endorsement to their own, their own products and their own brands. And, and the White Company and Hypnos are two of our most recent licensees. And that kind of communication that they do about why we choose Red Tractor is exactly the sort of amplification we need from all of those members. That's, that's excellent. Uh, uh, the similar example I've heard in the past is uh, 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 Goo Puddings. Um, that they were trying to get into the into the retail sector, and um, they 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 went uh, a bit bit of guerrilla marketing. They managed to get themselves aligned to uh, Virgin Airways because they worked out that if a chap was sat on a in a in a business class um, seat for six, seven, eight hours, and he had a goo pudding in front of him for two hours, and he loved it, he would go back and he would say. Or the lady would say, um, "I must buy uh, more goo puddings when, when I get home." Um, and the, the retailers started to uh, stock goo puddings because of that, because of that that um, uh, uh, consumer power, uh, social behaviour change. So for the likes of um, uh, uh, the white company to be able to uh, stock products with red tractor on that that's that's. Oh, Jim, that's that's uh, uh, yeah, that's magic dust. You, you, you've created the magic dust from my magic wand. So, no, to have yeah. what a brilliant example. So, so, to have more collaborations like like that to get the name out even even further to to create even more momentum is definitely the way to go. Yeah, absolutely. So, so Jim, just parking everything as much as we can um, um, politically and economically with the the, the might uh, that you've created with it's a, it's a, it's amazing you've the success that you managed to create with uh, such a small team. Um, but where you've, you've created the success over the last 22 years, you're positive about what you can do for everyone involved with Red Tractor ongoing? 
Oh, absolutely. I think, uh, you know, whilst our purpose in the very early days was absolutely to reassure consumers because we were coming off a lot of food scares and we were somewhat defensive, you know, in the way that we were established, I'd say now using standards as the competitive advantage is the way to go. You know, actually, Max, if you and I were on the streets of Bury St Edmunds and we had to sell British agriculture to a passerby, an average passerby, I anticipate it would be the standards to which we produce things that would be the key selling point. And for me, the, the standards are underpinned by Red Tractor. We're consumer facing. So our vision for Red Tractor is to be the flagship for British food and farming, because that is the, the, the very thing that, we, that we're trying to sell. So, um, yes, we will. I anticipate there will be great opportunities, and great growth for Red Tractor. And, and even if we if we even if we're 22 years old and we've got consumers trusting us more than they trust anything else in terms of food, there's still an awful lot of way to go. I'd say the next thing that's creeping up on us will be environment. So, you know, you mentioned right at the beginning that our standards included environmental protection and they do. But I have to say that almost all of our end customers are going far beyond environmental protection and looking to, you know, to put in sustainability kind of criteria. Uh, they all have very, very ambitious net zero targets. And inevitably, that pressure is going to come down onto farming. So, you know, doing something around uh, environmental stewardship and sustainability will be the next drive. Yeah, well, well done. And, and also just to, the, the, the legacy issue that we have got in the sector of, of age, that we have got this uh, age population, especially within the, the farming community. But again, one thing that we've learned over the last couple of years is how the younger generation is really interested, really intrigued about coming into the food sectors because they'd rather do do good than, um, and, and Jim Iles give the, the Goldman Sachs example, who wants to work for a, a monosyllabic uh, bank doing 110 hours a uh, um, a week, you might get lots, lots of money, but you're not going to enjoy it, and you're not going to be doing any good to the planet. Whilst coming into the uh, into the farming, into the agricultural sector, into the food sectors, you can do good. But what would be your housing call to people uh, of the younger generation, or perhaps those of a of a of a mature nature who want to uh, retrain? What would be your housing call as to why they should get involved with the with the sectors, please? Well, actually, it's interesting, Max, that, it, that in, in terms of the insur um, assurance and certification, it is actually a lot of the younger farmers and younger farm managers that we meet that, that may embrace it more than the Excellent. more than the older or traditional farmers. So I'm um, so that, that's good. But if I just reflect on my whole career in in food and farming, then I would number one is I've spent my whole career in this sector. I've never moved out because and one of the reasons is, is because it is so fast moving there is so much innovation in it uh, and it's an exciting career i mean you, you mentioned some of the challenges that we're up against that you know right now with the with the, the political situation uh, and all the other pressures of the world and it and it it gives you a new challenge and something to think about almost every day so it's a very very exciting category to be to be operating in uh, and i you know if anyone was considering a career anywhere then i would you know i i would choose food every time yeah, and it's not, I, I know that uh, we, we've been a bit UK centric, but I always uh, say that there's a particular university that I won't name them, they, they get a bit frustrated uh, with the um, uh, farming uh, student population that they don't have too much of an ambition to to go overseas. Um, I'm ex Harper, um, and I was very privileged for my uh, placement year uh, that I, I worked on cotton in Australia, and it was the absolute uh, making of me. Um, and with uh, my background in uh, the likes of Africa and uh, South America, there's so many opportunities for uh, the younger generation to 
have a, a base in the UK and go and work for some amazing food businesses, um, agricultural businesses, fresh produce businesses in South Africa, South America, North America, um, Australasia, and then come back and just uh, have, have a huge network, Jim, um, overseas. So that's one, one thing I would say, if you, if you are in the sector, um, make sure that you look internationally, because when you come back to the UK, it's going to make you an even better um, individual for whichever direction you ultimately go in within, within, the, within the food sector. Uh, so, I, so, I agree 100%, Max. So I've worked in Denmark, Germany, US, a little while in Japan. So, and I've looked, and yeah. always in the food business. And wherever you go, you will learn something new that you can bring back. There's no question about it. Yeah, and make friends for life as well, Jim, don't you? Yeah, it was difficult to make friends in Japan. I wasn't very good at the language. I relied on the body language, Max, and that didn't work particularly well. <laughs> Why? Because you're six foot ten and they were five foot something. <laughs> <Maybe>. <laughs> So, so, Jim, th thank you. How can we find out more about Red Tractor? How can we engage with Red Tractor, please? Well, certainly, I mean, our website is the best place to start with, uh, Max, and it's got it's got literally has got everything on it. So whether you're a whether you're a consumer, a farmer, a grower, a government official or whatever, there will be something on that website for you. So I would I would encourage you to start there. And similarly, if you you know, if, if, if you're a body or, or a group that would like to interact more closely with Red Tractor, then by all means, contact me or contact through our inquiries line uh, and we can set something up. Always delighted. As I mentioned, communication, particularly to farmer members and growers, is really difficult. So um, the more we the more we can do in that area, whether it be face to face meetings or webinars, we're delighted to do. So if anyone wants to contact us, come in through the inquiries line and we will get back to you. And I've just had a WhatsApp saying, uh, Jim is excellent. What an open and giving individual. Red Tractor is in safe hands for the long term. So there's a, there's a comment. Yeah, just I in. think that was the wife, Max. <laughs> no, she, she's down at the White House uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> shopping. <laughs> Jim, that, that's excellent. So we're going to support uh, Red Tractor um, ongoing. We're going to look to um, see if we can assist to collaborate. Uh, we're going to tell all of our networks, whether it be in the trades, um, or um, externally uh, about Red Tractor, what the Red Tractor symbol stands for. Um, and we're just going to keep supporting you, Jim, and your colleagues. Um, excellent, Jim. We'll, we'll see you very shortly. And thank you very much for your time. Thank you very much, Max. Thank you, Jim. Thank you. Bye-bye-bye-bye.